Madrid. Jack, it's so good to see you, buddy. Um, yeah, I'm uh, so excited to so excited to be joining you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about hearing from you on this this discussion specifically, and I've been meaning to kind of pick your brain about a whole host of things that have been on, on my mind. So I'm just looking forward to talking about it with you, with an audience, and taking some questions and hopefully getting some answers. Yeah, absolutely, and it's and it's perfect timing as you see, you know, young people across the country have been coming to Washington D.C. Myself being one of them, and are, are planning hundreds of marches across the country right now. So it's the perfect time to be talking about Gen Z. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know, we we, uh, we share some comments every once in a while with certain developments, and you'll say, Mike, what do you think? And I'll say, Jack, what do you think? And um, p- part of this, part of part of why I've loved working with you over the past few years and getting to know you better has been realizing how old I am. <laughs> and and I, I, I love um, knowing that the future is going to be okay because you, you are so on it and the network that young people have built really is astonishing and it's really impressive. And um, and it's, it's so cool to see you at the forefront of it because I get to say I knew you when. <laughs> um, but... Um, I do want to catch up with you too, and just just uh, you know, offline talk about just life and and school and kind of what's happening with you because I don't know how you handle as much as you do, but it's it's really impressive to watch. With very little sleep is how I usually handle it. That's yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good way to do it. Let's go. It's it's five o'clock hour here. It's eight o'clock there. I know you're really busy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and and get us started here by first thanking everybody for joining. Uh, Jack Cocharella and, and Mike Madrid here on this third episode of Mike Drop, where we're going to be talking about voter turnout generally, what happened in the Tuesday's primaries, what it means for uh, the midterms, if it means anything. And I can't wait to hear not only Jack's uh, opinion and views on this, but everybody's with, with the question and answer format that Colin allows us to have. Um, obviously, a lot of people are new to this app. It's new to me, too. Uh, but I, I've always made the commitment to be as accessible as I possibly could, starting with my work with the Lincoln Project, because I know there's a lot of concern. I know there's a lot of angst. I know there's sometimes a lot of fear and just dispelling some of what is happening or giving people a better look under the hood of what campaign operatives and professionals and activists are thinking sometimes can put people's minds to rest that, yeah, okay, there's people working on it. There are people that are focused on it. Um, uh, can, can be very helpful. At least it was during the 2020 presidential campaign. And so I've made that commitment to do that. And this app seemed like the perfect opportunity to do that. Now, having said that, I'm going to tell you I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. And, and frankly, Jack, I'm a little bit pissed because it's been over a year and a half. We're heading into the stretch of the midterms now. And there are a lot of problems that could have been addressed that have not been addressed in terms of turnout. And I want to talk to you about some of those, but before we jump into the actual, you know, brass tacks, um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about what my many years of being in the profession has taught me about voter turnout and the way that we've approached it. One of the more controversial things that I think that I've been saying very publicly is before primary season, in the middle of the primaries, I'm a very, very big advocate of Smaller donors, like if you're giving less than a thousand dollars a year politically, uh, or if you're certainly giving less than you know a hundred, two hundred bucks, which is a lot for activists, that money, in my estimation, is almost always, always best spent on um, voter registration and organizations that do get out the vote operations. Precisely for, for, for what we experienced last night, which is there was a breathtaking, a jaw-dropping amount of money that was spent on campaigns by candidates yesterday that's going to fewer and fewer voters. And contrary to, public, uh, to, 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 to conventional wisdom, most campaigns do not spend, individual campaigns do not spend money on voter registration or get out the vote. Uh, with all voters, they, they, they turn out what we call identified voters, people who have told you that they're going to vote for your candidate. Those are the only people that campaigns want voting on Election Day. And I know that sounds a little bit odd to people, but if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Candidates are in the job of winning their campaigns. They're not necessarily 
in the job of seeing as high a turnout as possible. They're, they're in the job of, of seeing as high a turnout as possible of their voters. And so that's where the focus uh, generally tends to be. Um, and, and it's why I believe, you know, California, where I'm from, with the most expansive, most progressive, most um, multifaceted way of allowing people to vote. We, any way you want to vote in California, we allow it. We, we mail out ballots 30 days in advance to every registered voter. If you're not registered, you can register basically up to same day. You can walk in your ballot. You can mail in your ballot. You can vote at a vote center. Uh, there's just so many ways of voting in California. It's, it's hard to keep track of how easy it is. And yet we still had probably one of the lowest turnouts in our state history, if not uh, definitely towards the lower end. And at the same night, Mississippi, one of the more conservative, restrictive, limiting places in the country to vote, experienced essentially the same, possibly even higher turnout rates than California did. And so there's something that seems a little bit more significant than process, and I want to tap your brain on that a little bit, Jack. I also want to hear from from some of the viewers. But what I will say is I am concerned because if we're in a situation where the potential and probable overturning of Roe Wade in the next couple of weeks, the horrific nightmare of Uvalde, you know, not too many days behind us, dozens of mass shootings have happened since then, Uh, inflationary and economic concerns uh, of course, are there as well. There's this perfect storm in Petri dish for people to be angered, to be outraged, to be motivated to vote, and yet they haven't. So those are some of the topics I want to explore. But first, I do want to introduce, um, I can say this now because I'm over 50, Jack, a, a young man um, <laughs> who I got to know and and become extraordinarily fond of during our work together on the Lincoln Project. Um I, I little quick story. I asked my political director Zach Jakowski to find me the best young person working uh, with us on the team to kind of help uh, keep the political shop organized. Essentially, kind of a chief of staff, but somebody who who was smart, who could sit at the table with high level thinkers, and also kind of just handle my schedule and keep me out of trouble. And he immediately brought up Jack and, and was doing such a good job after just a few weeks. I said, how does he have time to take care of all of this stuff for me? And he said, Mike, he's not just taking care of this stuff for you. He's taking care of it for me and the whole department. He's in school full time. He's about to get ready to go to an Ivy League school. And, oh, he's like this high-level basketball player all <laughs> at the same time. And I was like, this this is unbelievable. But the good news is I know that the – the kids are going to be all right. If 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 Gen Z is producing people like Jack Hocharella, uh I'm very optimistic about where our country is heading. And since we first got to know each other, you have done such remarkable things, both as an undergraduate uh, at Dartmouth in an Ivy League school. But you you met the president of the United States. You're on every politician's shortlist for help and advice on motivating Gen Z voters. And so um, recognizing that your time might be a limited, uh, Jack, and, and how many people love talking to you, I do want to start with you and get some of your basic impressions on online activism that empowers your generation because you are at the forefront of it nationally, and you're doing things that um, we in politics have never seen before, and I want to get your sense of what that means in terms of engaging what has historically been a really difficult voter group for us to get to show up at, at the voting booth. Yeah, absolutely. I'd first like to say thank you so much for that really kind introduction. And, and I'm so excited to be joining you here to talk about you know, these issues that are so important to me. And, and what I'd first say is that when Gen Z discovered that this generation could be different, it was through our online activism. And I was talking to Michael Cohen about this. And, and I said, when Gen Z really realized we could make a difference was back when Trump had his, you know, I'm back. Here's my big event in Oklahoma. When he said, we've sold millions of tickets. Everyone's coming. It's going to be huge. And it was a complete flop. 
Because Gen Z activists on TikTok and on Twitter said, how about we buy up all these? I think they, I think they were free, but how about we sign up for a bunch of tickets, make this a thing bigger than it's going to be, and try to embarrass the president? And that's exactly what happened. And we did that from our bedrooms on our computers because you know, people like me who were planning to spend the summer registering voters couldn't do so because we couldn't go out. And so we said, OK, what's the alternative? The alternative is online activism. And we figured out in that moment that, yeah, embarrassing the president, embarrassing Donald Trump is, is really fun. But maybe this can be more. Maybe this organizing power can be more. And and that's what it's become. You know, I, I brought up March for Our Lives earlier uh, in, in this in this conversation. And that is an example of how our online engagement, our online organizing has has gone way past TikTok and way past Twitter or Instagram and is on the ground right now. You know, we've brought in, there are students from all across the country who March for Our Lives has been able to fly to DC to have their voices heard. And what's so powerful about that is that this isn't just a one-time thing. What young people like myself and other amazing young people who, who are here in Washington, D.C., get out of that experience is they see, they see that there's no barriers to this. It is our time to be involved. There is a reason that we have to show up to vote because we can be involved in this process. And previously before, you know, generations at the same time and age, Gen Z is, you know, this, this 15 to 25 demographic, other generations were kind of pessimistic. But I think we're very practical and we understand what needs to be done to get the things we want accomplished, accomplished. And, and it's not going to be a slam dunk every time. We understand that Kirsten cinemas get in the way, that Joe Manchins get in the way. But we understand the steps that need to be taken, you know, expand our majorities and, and pass our agenda. I've seen activists talking to Lisa Murkowski today, talking to Joe Manchin, and they respond to us. Now, those senators respond to us because they know the role that we're not only going to play in the electorate, which soon will be dramatically bigger than ever before, but, but they understand what we do in shaping the conversation and, and shaping this dialogue about what's going on in our country, because the most pressing issues right now are those issues that are affecting us. Gun violence in schools, that's something that we understood. My entire life, I have had active shooter drills in school. We, we know what gun violence, we, it, it's affected us. It's affected our friends. We all have stories. And so we know how pressing it is. And, and that's what's so powerful about our generation is we understand what's ahead of us. And we also understand what it will take. And, and we're ready to do it. And, and it's really incredible to see these movements come together. And I'm, I'm sure it's really exciting to kind of be a part of driving that change because a lot of what I see you doing online um, you know, it's, it's in various states, and and there's this there's it's not hierarchical. It's it's very much designed about this, and recognizing um, I think more so certainly than my generation that everybody's voice matters. Everybody's voice can be a part of engaging folks, and um, I do want to explore a little bit about some of your thoughts on that. First, I want to remind people you can jump in lower part of your app if you've got questions. Uh, go ahead and, and jump into the queue. You can see where you can do that there. Um, a, a lot of people are, are sometimes shy, so if you want to write something into the queue there, you can do that as well. I know there is somebody in the UK who had a quick question, Jack, that I'll ask you, and maybe you can kind of explore this as, as we do start having other people line up. And, and that is, um, do you think that what's really going to catalyze your generation, kind of like the boomers, is sort of a JFK figure? Um, or, do, or do you think it's it's kind of this this urgency of gun control legislation and again hearing you talk about the fact that you you never went to school without active shooter drills or or the impending you know climate change um, issues that have been so definitive for your generation's view of the world um, do you think it will be more issues driven or is it going to be more of a personality driven dynamic that will get young people? not only motivated, but actually showing up, especially in the midterms when their their participation is going to be so, so critical. So I'd say it's a little bit of both. Um, in terms of that central figure, I think the issues that our generation cares about, there are so many and they're so diverse, but there's that there's lots of, you know, central figures of specific movements in those, you know, in those different movements. So it's not just one person who leads our generation. 
um, but many who have come together to share their voice. There's a great organization I work with called Gen Z for Change. Um, they have millions of followers uh, across platforms like TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. And what they do is, is similar what, to what I try to do, is they have this platform that they are able to use to give voice to Gen Z activists and young people who otherwise, you know, would be told to wait your turn or, you know, maybe when you're done with college, you can get an internship and then maybe you can try to, you know, get a little bit more involved. But what we want right now is to be able to build platforms and, and give young people who need to share their voice platforms to do so. And so in that way, we can have lots of different leaders come together in these various organizations. Those who, you know, care specifically, their their biggest issue for them is, is defending uh, a woman's right to choose or ending this, you know, epidemic of gun violence in this, in, in this country. And so because we are so united on these online platforms and we're able to organize in, in ways that have never really been seen before, we're able to have lots of different leaders of these movements. And, and that's what's so incredible is that we're all able to come together kind of on these central platforms uh, and share our voice. And so for me, I always try to, you know, reach out to as many young people as possible uh, and encouraging them to share their voice. And, and if I can do anything to help them, um, that is always my goal is to empower young people to be running for office right now, to share their voice, to speak up um, because because we can, you know, we, we can right now. Our generation is about to have and is having right now um, the first Gen Z uh, members of Congress we could be seeing next year. You know, awesome, incredible candidates like Maxwell Frost in Florida and Ray Reed in Missouri. These are people who are young and who understand what it means to be a Gen Zer, and they're running for Congress right now. And, it, and it's not just people running for Congress. We see young people running for school board positions and in local elections who are young, who are members of Gen Z, because they know they can, and they feel empowered seeing the activism around them. And I think that's what the most powerful thing about our generation is, is our ability to organize and how empowering that is to young people. So I do want to talk a lot about the organizing element because it's critically important. And I also know that people who are tuning into the show right now and will listen to it later are going to want some of those specifics, not just on what's happening, but also how they can be helpful. Because I think everybody, even if you're not in the 18 to 25 year old, you know, demographic, and of course, I'm not, I'm basically two of those people, right, is, is, how, is how they can be helpful in helping you build out this network because in many ways a lot of this online activism is, is the new way of getting out the vote. It's the new way of engaging and communicating, the old way of door knocking, which still works, by the way. Is there still nothing better than a lot of that ground game activity? But with every year that goes by, it becomes less effective, especially when you are a political activist in your own network of young people who are so focused on other things as they're coming of age to start saying, wait a second, there are young leaders in my circle, in my network, who I, you know, friends with, or I snap with, or, or I'm watching TikTok videos or, or Twitter or whatever it is to start saying, hey, even though I, I may not think a lot about politics, who are the people that, that I should be following? But before we get there, and this is really, really important, Jack, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of direct here. What happened with turnout yesterday? Like, what, what was the problem? Because I think you're exactly right when you say, you know, 18 to 25-year-old women specifically. For, for 30 years, I've been doing campaigns where the specter of losing Roe Wade kind of became this, you know, um, crying wolf, right? It's like, yeah, sure, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. I've, I've been doing campaigns since I was your age. Now I'm like midlife, and, I'm, and, and, for, and it's, it's actually going to happen. Like it's, it's right there, right? And, and again, you grew up in an age where in my first campaigns, you know, we had you know, Bill Clinton passing an assault weapons ban, like your generation has grown up at a time where you're every day looking at a new body count, unfortunately, and saying, what the hell is happening to this world that I live in? And it, it is unconscionable, I think, for a lot of people to try to figure out what exactly is or is not happening to kind of motivate and keep people motivated 
to actually show up if we can't have passion, enthusiasm, anger, fear, and rage, all of those things, uh, what what is going to do it? If this environment is not going to get people to the polls in record numbers, what's it going to take? And, you know, I was a little surprised to see some of the numbers yesterday. But I think right now, I, I think we need to, to continue to communicate the importance of primaries. Because I think sometimes we... We don't really understand or we say, or, you know, some young people take for granted the representatives that are elected to be Democratic nominees. And and they think and this is where a lot of the, the pessimism comes with nothing can change. Right. There's nothing that can change these Democrats. Oftentimes people think that they're not going to be able to do anything or accomplish the goals that they want to see. And, and so in that way, I think we need to be focusing on translating some of that pessimism to early action. You know, I worked with groups to get out as many voters as possible in the primaries. And that's why I think having young candidates right now is going to show the impact of getting out and voting in every single election in your, in your local, your state elections, making sure that you're voting in primaries because having young people on the ballot shows that, Oh, these votes count too. Because sometimes I I think, you know, our view of it is that a lot of people's is that, Democratic establishment will be the Democratic establishment. In, in 2016, a lot, of, a lot of people my age wanted to see Bernie Sanders be the Democratic nominee. And, you know, maybe that outcome left a bad taste in their mouth for primaries, you know, and, and definitely hurt us in the general. But right now, having young people run for office, I think that is going to be extremely important and, and quite helpful in raising the level of engagement that we're going to see Uh, in these primaries, because it's really stressing the importance uh, of getting out and voting for who you want your Democratic nominee to be. And we need to make sure getting all Democrats on board on the issues that we care about, talking about ending this epidemic of gun violence, you know, protecting a woman's right to choose environmental action right now. That can happen in the primaries. And that's what we need to be focusing on. You can pick better candidates in your primaries. And that's where you can, more than even in the general elections, have your voice heard. And, and I think we need to be stressing that more than ever. And I think having young people on the ballot is going to do that. I like I like that idea, that concept, because I know having worked on representation issues, the more you see somebody and, and have a relatable face, uh, uh, in a candidate, the, the greater the likelihood of your feeling you've got some ownership, not just in the campaign, but, but frankly, in the government that you're going to be working with and living with, and it's going to help determine and shape the quality of your life. And so, you, you know, we, when we first lowered the voting age uh, during the Vietnam War, and I say it like I was there, I mean, I was, I'm not that old, but, you know, this 18 to 25-year-old demographic, we changed the Constitution, lower the voting age from 21 down to 18, um, and, and we see very briefly, very briefly, um, this 18 year old vote pop up and people get, get involved and active. It was a time of incredible activism during the baby boomer era, uh, where young people are motivated to vote saying, if I'm old enough to go and die, I'm old enough to vote. And there, that's a, a damn good argument. Um, the, the next time we really saw the 18 to 25 year old vote pop back up, was during Obama's historic election, a very aspirational time for young people who saw, I think, in that campaign and in that presidency, something very, very hopeful, something very optimistic, something very aspirational about the American ideal and who America could be. Um, of course, the numbers crater in 2016, and uh, they pop up a little bit in the 2018-2022 cycle, but I, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on whether it's a negative message. Is it, is it, is it kind of the, the fear and anger, uh, the protest vote that we saw during the Vietnam era? Or is it more of an aspirational, positive, forward-looking time that is going to get young people more engaged? I think it's a combination of, of a couple of those things, of what isn't being achieved and what can And I think it's very easy to make that connection. I think it's very easy to say, you know, we should be upset with what the, you know, people are obviously very upset with how high the price of gas is right now. And every day I have said, this is a reminder that 203 House Republicans 
Every single Republican that voted voted against price gouging or, or voted against the bill that would stop price gouging at the pump, right? And I think we need to be connecting these these issues that should all be going together, lowering the cost of how much you're going to be paying for gasoline, not allowing these giant companies to, to their price gouging to continue, lowering the cost of insulin, raising the minimum age to 21 to buy a semi-automatic weapon. I think we can say, look at this hypocrisy that we've seen from Republicans, but look again at what's possible. I think it's it's important to do both. And, and it needs to be a message of Republicans are on a quest to attack anyone that does not look like them and does not vote like them. But things can be different and things can be better. And we're very close to having things be better. And there are very simple and easy steps to do so. I have, uh, and some of the representatives I've talked to today, they were also stressing this when I talked to them, that we need to be having more single issue votes on the floor of the House. Having a vote on capping the price of insulin at $35 an hour, uh, $35 a month is an important vote. It's an important vote because you can be very specific in communicating that policy and communicating that Republicans have voted against it. And I think we need to do more of that to show in our messaging what is attainable. You know, when we spend a year talking about infrastructure and we were throwing around these gigantic numbers, it was kind of difficult to communicate what that meant. And more than anything, Democrats struggle with our messaging. And so, yes, we need to be talking about this attack on our democracy and the attack that Republicans have waged on every single basic right imaginable. But at the same time, we need to be talking about what's achievable. These very simple policies that are achievable with a larger Democratic majority. Uh, Maury, I see you in the audience. Make sure you're jumping up there. I know you had some questions earlier. So just uh, at the lower part of your app, uh, you can jump in and ask questions. That goes for everybody. This is designed to be as interactive as possible. So while you're formulating those questions and jumping up, um, let me ask, Jack, if there were three issues, what are the top three issues do you think are going to be motivating uh, people to show up in November? The first, I would say, is a woman's right to choose. That's going to be number one. That has motivated and engaged uh, everyone, every generation, every, you know, I, you see Republicans as well, independents as well, talking about this being an issue that matters. I, I think that's going to be number one. And in terms of getting my generation out to vote, I think and it's it's obvious by the marches that we're going to be seeing on Saturday that putting an end or or beginning to stop this epidemic of gun violence in our country that's a that is a top priority and you know we're having these votes in the house right now we just saw the house pass a bill to raise the minimum age to buy a semi-automatic weapon to 21 years old and there are simple reforms that can be taken and, and that's why it's such an important issue, because when we talk about gun reform, we need to be having these very pragmatic conversations, because we can just look at the polling and see that huge majorities of Americans support these policies. They support background checks. You know, a, a large, I think it's 60 percent, over 60 percent of Americans would even support banning AR-15s and, and ending the sale of AR-15s. And these are very reasonable, very pragmatic steps that Democrats can easily communicate. Why do we need to have these weapons of war out on the street if all they have ever done is hurt people? And then I think the third and most important, well, the, the third most important issue is going to be representation. I think not, you know, not every congressional district, not even every state is going to have a young person running for office. But there are enough of them right now where it will be engaging. And there's going to be enough young activism, young people working on these that I think having them in this political sphere, having more people involved in politics by nature of younger and more diverse candidates being elected will be centrally important in these midterms. Talk to me a little bit about the January 6th hearings coming up. I mean, most my guess is, and again, maybe this is um, 
an assumption I should not be making, but my guess is younger folks are probably not watching the MSNBC and CNN, you know, cable news shows the same way that you or I might be. Um, where is this going to be broadcast, and are there any any plans to to use social media or even traditional media? To, to inform and, and, and drive the message of this conspiracy that so clearly happened and, and this insurrectionist effort, how, how, how is that going to be, uh, one, received by young people, and what are the plans, uh, if you're aware of any, that will be used to motivate folks to, to make sure that this is top of mind and maybe added to one of the top issues for young people going forward? Yeah, so in terms of what I'm really hoping to see out of these hearings is being very clear and direct about the the plan that was put together, the legal plan that was being put together by Trump and his goons to, you know, in whatever way that they thought they could, whether it was uh, Mike Pence, whether it was Senator Chuck Grassley, you know, trying to overthrow this election, showing that they were trying to take away your vote. They were trying to take away the will of the people. And and they knew they were doing it. Because I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult to make this connection. And, and, you know, I just think it's going to be more difficult to make this connection uh, between Trump and and the actual images of January 6th. Now, I I still think that they're important, but I think the number one argument that needs uh, needs to be made is, Trump wanted to take your vote away because it's still happening today. You know, a lot of people have forgotten about what's happened on January 6th. But what I don't think people are going to forget about is when it's more difficult to vote, when their names have been removed from voter registries, when they can't access, you know, the same ballot drop off boxes as they were able to in 2020. I think those barriers that are being put in the way voter you know, uh, trying to keep people from voting. That's something that we're seeing right now. And and it's an effort in a way targeted at young people as well, trying to keep young voters from getting out. So I think we need to be talking about Trump's direct plan that is still carried out. That's that's being carried out right now by Republican governors and, you know, Republican hopefuls for secretaries of state positions that want to take your vote away. They want to take your vote away by preventing you from voting, by making it as hard as possible. And then they want to take your actual vote away. They want to overthrow our elections. And I think that's the key point that needs to be made. Because we can show, and we have, we've shown these horrifying clips of insurrectionists, of domestic terrorists at the Capitol. And, and they're terrifying. And they're, and they're just, they're disgusting. It's, it's painful to watch every single time, but I think we need to keep our argument straight that Republicans tried to, in a, in a legal way, in, in a way that they thought could be legal, take your vote away, and now they want to do it again. They want to take your vote away. They want to take your voice away. They tried to do it, and they failed, and they're going to try to do it again. Democracy is on the ballot this November. And are you finding that young people respond to that message or is it kind of like their eyes glaze over and think, yeah, this might be just a little bit of hyperbole. You're kind of overdoing it as somebody who's passionate about politics or well, where are they at? I mean, do, do they are they buying it? Are they dismissing it? What, what What's your sense? Well, when you see governors like Brian, Brian Kemp in Georgia saying, yes, the bill that I passed, its intention was to restrict people from voting. I think Republicans are, are saying it for us. You know, it, it is a worry as it does become more difficult to vote because we don't want things to be more difficult. We'd love to just be able to do it from our phones. That'd be great if we didn't have to get up. So if these lines are going to be six, seven and eight hours long, we know why. We know what the like we know why we saw the availability of methods to vote because of the pandemic in 2020. And we, and we want to keep those. So I think when you have Republicans saying these things out loud, saying them for us, I'd love to cut that clip of Brian Kemp and play it everywhere. Republicans want to keep you from voting. They've said it. 
Donald Trump has said it. And, and I think that's still centrally important. Now, I wouldn't make that the focus of every single argument you have for why you should be turning out and voting for Democrats in the midterms, at least if you're speaking to young people. But Republicans have, have said these things in the same way that you've seen Republicans say that they would like to see the Supreme Court you know, overturn interracial marriage or gay marriage. They want, they, they've said these things out loud. We understand that this is no longer hyperbole. People said, oh, you know, if Trump gets elected, even if he appoints as many Supreme Court justices as might be the presidency, they won't overturn Roe. That's not going to happen. Now we know these, these things can happen. Now we know these Republican plots, th- that there is an end game for them. It's not just fear mongering. These things are real. And that's why, you know, when I was talking to some representatives today, I said, we need more votes on the House floor about these issues. We need a vote on preserving, no matter what, the right to gay marriage, the, the right to contraception. We, we need these votes. We need these hard, tough votes for Republicans and these unifying votes for Democrats, because, you know, I, I'd love a couple, <laughs> a couple extra unifying votes for Democrats because we don't always have those. And so we need to make them vote on these issues and, and really show who they are. Because it's not hyperbole that they are willing to strip every right away from you. Do you think you have, you're a member of a generation that has confidence in government as a way of solving problems? Or um, is because you have all grown up online making you look more towards a technological solution or a, or a private sector solution? Are, are there people in your generation that that aspire to 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 either build confidence in government or actually run for office and be part of of government as a as a solution to these enormous challenges that your generation faces? I think we have great confidence in ourselves, and I think as you're seeing more young people run for office, they are inspiring others as well. And organizations like Run for Something have been hugely important in doing that and showing young people that they can run for office. You know, one of the best, best moves I've seen by any organization looking to empower young people to get into politics is Run for Something partnered with Snapchat. And they made it easy to you know, put your location in. Where do you live? What's your zip code? Here are the local offices, state offices that are having elections this year or next year. Here's what these positions do. Is this seat open? Is there an incumbent? Here's how to register. Here's how many signatures it takes. These are the actual steps that you can take to get involved in politics. These are what these people do. They've made it real. And seeing young people get involved makes it real. Seeing these marches, these these incredible organizing efforts makes it real. And in that way, the confidence that we have in ourselves translates to a confidence that we can have in our ability to affect change at every level of government. And I think that's what's important is that we can't just be focusing on what happens in Congress. Young people need to be involved in every level of government. You know, we've seen endless clips of school board meetings and during COVID, school boards were incredibly important for the decisions they were making for or against masking. And recently in Florida, we've seen the importance in the decisions that schools have been made, have been making in, in banning books or trying to silence LGBTQ plus voices in our middle schools, in our high schools, in our elementary schools, teachers as well, trying to silence teachers, trying to keep children from being who they are. And, and young people are seeing that. Kids fresh out of high school, fresh out of college are running for school board positions in places that they've moved to or in their hometowns because they know the impact that can be made. And they know that it's feasible. They know that they can be involved. We have the confidence to do so. And that's what's so empowering. And that's why I feel confident because the organizing efforts that we have put together are so incredibly empowering. And if we empower young people, they can make it. They can make it happen. They they can get these things done. They can make change. Talk a little bit more about the. Um, you mentioned there's there's going to be a lot of activity this weekend, right? 
Absolutely. Talk about that, and then talk about like how young people are communicating about it, and and I know I know that you know some of the the activists of your generation, the the David Hogs of the world, um, who have been doing phenomenal work as young people, kind of changing, making change. Like what? Um, just just talk to me about that. Talk to me about this weekend. Talk to me about what how people can help out, where they can go to get more information, and and what your generation has been as a catalyst for this type of activism. So first on how you can get involved, go to marchforourlives.com. If you go to March for Our Lives on Instagram or Twitter, I am sure, I am positive that there is a march in your area. There is over what I believe is 440 marches that are happening on Saturday, this Saturday, this weekend, all across the country to march and show how much young people and people of all generations care about fighting this epidemic of of gun violence that is killing our friends and our family members every single day in our schools, in our homes, in supermarkets, on the street. So, So that's the first thing that you can do is you can go and you can march. The best way you can support young people is to get involved with them, to help us build these coalitions. Because these coalitions aren't of just 16 to 25 year olds, they're of all of us. But right now, specifically, I am seeing more politicians and more older organizers listen to young people, want to bring young people in. You know, I work with, and I'm fortunate to work with a lot of incredible candidates running for office right now, or to just be able to to speak and advise current members of Congress who want to hear about that's incredibly powerful right now. So be a part of this movement with us. And so right now, March for Our Lives, they are organizing incredible marches to show the power of this generation and to show our commitment to this issue. And something that is so incredible about this march, at least what I'm seeing in D.C. right now, is everywhere that I've gone in the city, because this incredible organization has flown in activists from all over the country to be in D.C., to talk to representatives, to empower them to go back to their district and make this same change. And everywhere I go, I see March for Our Lives shirts being worn. And what's so special about a lot of these shirts is they have QR codes on them that you can scan and register to vote. So these aren't just marches to show the power of our generation, but these are marches to empower our generation to show them that you can be an activist too, that you can make a change as well, that you can leave this event today, you can leave this protest, this march, and you can make change. You can make change by organizing. You can make change by having your voice heard. You can make change by being in this community. And then in November, you can go make change at the ballot box. So it's, it's not just about a one-time thing. That's what has to end. One-time protests, you know, one-off hashtags or, or big events, those have to end because then we just, then we just forget and we can't, we can't forget. This time has to be different. This time we cannot move on. This time we got to move forward. And that's what's happening right now is these organizing efforts are about moving this issue forward bringing this issue to representatives and having young people bring this issue to representatives and showing our numbers. And so that is what is different about this time. And that's why I'm so excited for these incredible marches that are going to be taking place all over the country on Saturday. Everybody, you're listening to Mike drop a live call in format uh, podcast that allows you to engage with some of the uh, more active uh, people in, in our political space um, this app is designed to give you as much access as possible to get your specific questions answered. So if you've got one, uh, throw it in the queue. We'll go ahead and bring you up on stage. We're visiting today with Jack Cocharella, um, a good friend of mine from back in the Lincoln Project days who really helped us keep the political shop's wheels turning during some extraordinarily challenging times. Um, who has, e- even at an e- extremely young age, gone on to do just some remarkable things, has taught me a ton about the changing nature of activism, um, especially online, and to see uh, his career, and it is a career already, um, exploding even as an undergraduate, 
um, it has been remarkable and, and not just fulfilling because I've, I've known him, you know, since then, but to, to, to be able to have somebody that I can reach out to, to ask some basic questions about organizing now has really, really made me step back and understand just how significant the changes in our political environment are the way that political change is actually made, the way that information flows. And to be candid, not all of it has been, um, you know, rainbows and unicorns here. The, the, understanding what young people do today has helped me understand how a lot of the more nefarious actors in this space have used misinformation to drive these media bubbles and to radicalize people online and to motivate them to be engaged in seditious activity or antisocial behavior like the anti-vaccine movement, which was clearly um, uh, designed not just to undermine uh, government's efforts to, to limit the pandemic, but, but frankly, to be socially destructive. And so I can't imagine um, – I've got, you know, I've got three kids of my own who are either in college or recently graduated from college, um, who I try to listen to as much as, as I can, again, to share with their dad a little bit about what the world looks like and how just radically, radically different it is from when I was that same age. When I, when I was um, heading into college, or at least in my early 20s, the wall had just come down. You know, the, the United States had effectively just won, the West had won the Cold War. And I remember being an undergraduate at Georgetown University, the School of Foreign Service, and, and most of our teachers weren't even prepared to talk about what the international structure was going to look like. And, and we, we really had the mandate as a generation to go out there and redefine it. And to look now at, at the, this next generation, Gen Z, with these extraordinary, almost apocalyptic challenges uh, in terms of climate change, where they, they've, they've essentially been raised with, with an expiration date in mind. We've got 10 years before this, 20 years before that, 30 years maybe for the whole damn thing. Uh, gu- gun violence, again, it, it's striking to hear Jack mention that he, 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 hasn't, he does not ever remember not having uh, drills in, in his school classes where they're preparing for uh, mass shooting activities. And then even the structural things, which I think a lot of us really never imagined would ever happen, which is the, the elimination, the removal, the reduction of constitutional rights, whether they're by overturning Roe or, or the court challenges uh, that are potentially there in, in terms of, of, of gay marriage and marriage equality. Um, we, we are we are in a, a fundamentally different time where people are being politicized in an extraordinarily different way. And sometimes um, I, I do fall victim to being a little bit pessimistic about it, especially when I don't see the type of engagement at the most basic level in democracy, which is literally showing up to vote. And um I try not to to allow that pessimism to seep in because it 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 can it becomes a um, you know self fulfilling prophecy and and this is kind of the next question I, I've got for you, Jack, which is, do you think we're numbing young people with too much apocalyptic information? Are the challenges um, too overwhelming where people just either become paralyzed or disinterested and simply lose the belief that they can make a difference? And do you think that's one of the problems that Gen Z faces? Well, I think, and and I've said this before, that I think we're a pragmatic generation. I think we do understand the significance of the challenges that we face. And, And we have been told from a young age that it will be incumbent upon us to fix them. And we have seen that it will be incumbent upon us to fix them. And so in a way, it is tough. It is difficult to see these challenges set before us and to know it's it's largely going to be on us to solve them. But I think we know that there's no alternative if we don't, that we have to, that we have to act. And what's so powerful is that we can, 
and we will, and, and we have been. And there is a community now more than ever around fighting these issues. And that is what has been able to keep young people going. And what I think will keep us engaged is community because nothing is more powerful than that and fighting these issues and doing it together. I think when we begin to feel like we're on our own is when we're the weakest. When, when we feel like there's no one looking out for us is when people get disengaged. And so I think if we remain present in people's lives, if we talk about these issues, not in an, in an apocalyptic way, but in a way that shows what can be done, if we be pragmatic and what can be done, I think there's going to be a difference of the outlook. And I think that's what's going to be so important is remaining present in people's lives. And I think now with the rise of social media, and I've been beginning to do a lot of work on this is, you know, seeing where young people are getting their information, where they're getting their media, how they're consuming their news, and how that's going to affect their political outlook. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of more uh, a lot more of people getting their news from individuals, you know, from from shows like this or from podcasts that they like or from specific Twitter accounts and interacting with individuals in community, I think, is is very powerful and building community around the issues that they care about most is very powerful. And, you know, that ability to have niche groups and communities around issues is is what I think, like I said, will keep us going is because if we know that there are other people who will, who are experiencing the same difficulties, who are worried about the same issues, you know, it's, it's similar to, to the conversation that's, that's been going on for the past couple of years about, about mental health is that, you know, a lot of young people struggle with their mental health and knowing that other people do as well. And, you know, kind of taking away some of that, some of that fear of talking about it is, is I think what's going to be similar and happening with these issues is that they've been so scary, they've been so apocalyptic, but but it's going to be it's going to be on us to fix them, and, and we know that, and so we know we need to act, and we know we need to act together, and so I think that's how we're going to be able to make that change happen. Which politicians do you see get this? Who get it? Like you, you have the unique role as somebody at your age. You talk to a lot of. Members of Congress, you talk to you know you you've talked to people at the highest levels of government. I mean, who who gets it? Who who gets it? Well, two people who really really get it, and we saw really really understand this in 2020 and 2021 is John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. So those two senators were incredible at communicating and interacting with younger people. And, and, and something that I always point to that Senator Warnock did really well in his campaign is when Kelly Leffler wanted to say, you know, my opponent is a, is a radical, is a socialist, my opponent is this and that. He didn't hide and he didn't run from, you know, the smear job that she was, she was trying to do. When she said, Raphael Warnock wants to defund the police, he didn't say, oh, Democrats are scared of this issue. I'm going to run away from it. He said, well, actually, that's not true. Here's my position. Here's what I want to do to make our communities safer. And, and, I, and I don't want to defund the police, but my opponent actually has in the way that she's voted, you know, voting against funding to our, to our states. Right? To, to, she, she's the one doing it. So they understand this, this communication. I'd also say, you know, you see senators like Brian Schatz, or you see senators like Chris Murphy, who are, are kind of younger, you know, for the scope of what a politician is, kind of younger people. And when they get on, when they're in the Senate chamber and they're speaking, they're, they're communicating like regular people. And we hear that. And obviously, you know, you have younger representatives like AOC, who kind of blows everyone in Washington's mind when she can kind of just hop on, you know, hop on Instagram and have an Instagram live and just have a conversation with people. And, and people are so, so shocked by that. Like, wow, she's using this incredibly new technology when it's, it's really not. These are just the ways that we communicate. And I'd say Richie Torres is another one of the incredible younger Democrats who, who's able to do this. And what I've talked about and getting on these platforms is that it's, it's not just enough to be on Instagram or to send out tweets 
you know, if you want to communicate with young people or just make a TikTok, you know, being on these platforms is great, but you also have to engage with these platforms in the way that they're used. So if you go on TikTok as a politician and talk to, you know, your audience as if you were talking to your donors or, you know, other members of the house, it's, it's not going to come across in a way that's effective. Your communication has to change based on the medium that you're using to communicate. And that's why these younger Democrats have been so successful, because they can talk like normal people. And they understand how to communicate and, and kind of how to give it straight. Like I said, we're very pragmatic. We understand. We, we want to know what needs to be done. And so when you can kind of just cut to the chase and when you can actually have a conversation and you can reach us on the platforms that we are on and not only reach us, but just communicate like we would, that's what's the most powerful. What would you say that the, the, the emerging platform is where young people are getting their information? Like where 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 are you living? Um, just for our audience's edification, where's where where will people hear about January sixth first? So a lot of it is going to be on TikTok, just because of the algorithm's ability to you know even if you don't have a huge following, if something is getting a lot of engagement, if something's doing well, it'll take off and it'll spread. So you know a lot of these videos and clips that we see spread on TikTok, and so do our messages. And that's why the app is so powerful, because it is reaching so many people and so many people are on it all the time. But, you know, a lot of that message comes from Twitter. Twitter kind of sets the tone a lot of the times I see. You know, you'll see I, I see my tweets all the time on on Instagram or, or TikTok, people talking about things that myself or other you know young activists have said. So that's kind of where the tone is set a lot of the times. That's where a lot of people kind of I don't want to say get their marching orders, but kind of figure out what the conversation is and what they want to be talking about. But platforms like Instagram, that's where you're going to be reaching a lot of young people and, and TikTok is the same. But a lot of that conversation is, is happening and, and it gets set and gets going on Twitter. Um, but the power of TikTok is very real, not only in, in organizing, but, uh, but, but reaching larger audiences. What, I, what I've said about TikTok a lot is that it's not the greatest app in the world for doing anything but sending someone somewhere. So it's incredible for reaching audiences. It's incredible for, you know, being able to talk to lots of people. The algorithm is very, very powerful. But what the app is great for is engaging a large audience, building a large audience very, very quickly and empowering them to go to your Instagram or go to Twitter or go to a link in your bio that's very accessible, easy to click and make a donation or sign up for a march. You know, my good friend, Aaron Parnas, um, he is a Ukrainian American and he joined TikTok kind of at the beginning of this conflict in, in Ukraine, in the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He had just joined the platform. And in about two weeks, he had gained 1.1 million followers on the app, just because the algorithm is so powerful. And if people want to be consuming this news, and he was such a great voice for, you know, giving great, giving great breakdowns of what was happening, and, and very easily communicating to this younger audience. And so he picked up so many followers so quickly on this app. And he's been able to send them to uh, reputable sites, to you know, news outlets, to, to educate themselves further, to understand what's going on, and to raise tens of thousands of dollars to donate to the people of Ukraine. So it's incredibly powerful and building up these audiences. And so I think that's what Democrats need to be doing is right now capitalizing on the attention that's being given to issues and talk about them and keep people engaged and build up these audiences to, 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 you know, to organize on these platforms. You're listening to Mike Drop with Jack Cotarella, our guest, and um, one of the leading voices of the Gen Z generation talking about voter turnout and engagements directly. Um, if you've got questions, please uh, add, um, just jump in there at the bottom of your app, jump into the queue, and we'll start uh, bringing folks up on stage. Um, incidentally, the way this this um, platform works is uh, once we kind of do the editing and posting, uh, the podcast does go onto you know, the Spotify's of the world um, 
Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get uh, your podcasts. So make sure that you're subscribing as well and then offering up any ideas for either guests or future topics of conversation. Jack, um, who should people, who else should people be following to get a better sense of what Generation Z is thinking and what Generation Z is doing? Who, who do you work uh, to start building those networks with? And you've, you've talked about those platforms, which are so powerful for the folks in your generation. Who are the voices that need to be amplified if people are going to be involved and engaged in helping to drive more people, young people, to activism and to hopefully um, better numbers at the polling places? Well, I've brought up, you know, a couple of my friends who are running for Congress uh, Maxwell Frost in Florida, Ray Reed in Missouri. Those are incredible candidates, young candidates that I would encourage everyone to follow. And then activists like myself, like Santiago Mayer, who runs Voters of Tomorrow, uh, another Lincoln Project alumni in Jack Lobel is an incredible activist uh, who is an incredible organizer and has done amazing things. I would encourage you to follow some of the members of Gen Z for Change um, like Aiden Cohn Murphy or Victoria Hammett. Uh, if you go to GenZForChange.com, you can follow incredible activists, young activists who are engaged in every issue from environmental activism to uh, stopping gun violence and, and advocating for young people um, or advocating for the LGBTQ plus community in, in schools to have you know our voices heard and stop governors like Ron DeSantis and and Greg Abbott from trying to silence us. There are so many amazing young activists. Um, I'd say the best thing that you can do is, is kind of follow these larger organizations. So follow Gen Z for change on Twitter or follow them on Instagram. Uh, if you have, if you have TikTok, follow them on TikTok as well. And, and they will do an incredible job uplifting other activists that you should be following as well. Um, Voters of Tomorrow is another incredible organization. I brought them up that you should be following, helping to turn out and engage young people across the country. And if you want to support another organization that is doing the same, I would say Run for Something um, is another great organization that you should follow, that you should absolutely donate to and support their efforts to get people, you know, uh, of all ages, you know, to run for office. Uh, we got a question in the um, chat box there about Snapchat. You haven't mentioned Snapchat. Is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the candidates that I work with, they have been building up big followings on Snapchat. And I, I think I said it earlier, Snapchat was a tool used by Run for Something um, to have. It's, it's an app primarily uh, that, that young people use. Um, I actually just was... Uh, last month, writing an essay about the importance of uh, Snapchat and in, in engaging young people in politics, talking about Peter Hamby, who had um, a show called Good Luck America that he still does that gets anywhere from one to three and a half million uh, watches every week or week or so that he does the show. Um, and it's a very simple, quick, easy and informative breakdown about the politics of the last week, last two weeks, last month, what's going on in the news um, in a very digestible format that makes sense for the platform. And that's what I've been talking about. You need to make content that makes sense for the platform, whether that be Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, or Snapchat. So there are lots of other people like Brian Tyler Cohen as well, lots of other great journalists who are utilizing um, Snapchat to reach young people about politics. But I'd also say, you know, the most important uh, the most important thing going on at Snapchat is what um, Run for Something has been able to do in engaging um, young people and getting them to run for office and, and connecting them to networks that will help them do so. Jack, we've hit and uh, surpassed the nine o'clock hour. I know you've probably got a lot of things to do. Uh, any parting words that you might have for the audience in relation to Generation Z and the title of this podcast, which is Can the Youth of America Save Us? Uh, small topic, I know, but if you could kind of just bring this bring this home for us, just your general thoughts on what it's going to take, how people can help and empower your generation, and um, and and what's next for you, what you see happening next with you. Well, I'll first by uh, I'll first start by talking about you know the most important topic, which is which is my generation. Um, we saw in in 2021 in Georgia 
what young people were able to do, young people turning out when it mattered, young people getting their friends involved, their family involved, advocating for two candidates that have effectively changed the political landscape of the last year and a half in John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. And young people turned out in bigger numbers than we've really ever seen to vote in 2020 for President Biden. Although there is pessimism from other generations of, well, young people have never really showed out before. Young people don't vote. Young people don't turn out. Young people aren't engaged. There is a lot that's being done behind the scenes to change that. And it is involving all of us. What's so powerful about our generation is, like I said at the beginning, we don't necessarily have one leader. But we have one idea, and that is to organize as much as possible, as frequently as possible, and with as many people as possible. And what we care about is elevating those who need their voices heard. And so that's what Gen Z more than anything is going to do, is we are going to elevate the right voices at the right times to get out the right message and to get out those who care about that message. And so I feel very very lucky to be a part of this generation. And I feel very, very excited about what we're going to be able to do, not only this year, but in 2024 and 2026 and 2028. I'm excited to see tens, not not just a couple, but maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe 100 candidates for Congress that are Gen Z in the near future. And I'm excited to see the impact that that has on turning out our generation in numbers that have never been seen before. What are the chances of you being amongst that number, Jack? Me being amongst that number, um, I'm very fortunate to have been involved uh, and have an incredible people like yourself give me awesome opportunities to, to get to learn at every level of, of politics. I am so fortunate to you know, be able to work on campaigns, to be able to help run those campaigns, to be able to talk with current members of Congress, you know, to be able to, to do some work and maybe spend a little time once in a while with the president and, and to you know, have my voice heard by you know, 200,000 people on, on Twitter every day, that um, I've been able to get a lot of different experiences out of politics. Um, what are the chances that I'll be one of them? Um, I think... I think Beto O'Rourke said this. He said, if it, if it needs to be, he said, if I need to run and if that's what's going to be the best thing, then I will. And I think, that's, I think that's my position as well. If I'm best served uplifting the voices of others through platforms that I'm building and working to build and networks that I'm building and working to build, that is where I want to be. But if my voice is best used uh, in, in Washington, D.C., then, then that's what I'll do. But I have a a good five and a half years to, to make that decision. So I'm glad that I have a little bit of time. I'm really, really proud of you. I want to thank you for taking the time uh, with us today. I know that we'll keep in touch. And if I can ever be of help to you, um, my friend, please reach out. Um, just so inspired by your work. And thank you for, for, for putting yourself out there the way that you have to make a change. It's important. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it, man. You bet you've been listening to Mike Drop here on the Colin app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Send us your thoughts on not just this podcast, but the potential of future guests, future topics uh, for next week and beyond. And until then, uh, we'll talk soon.